Aloha, Maui Nui. Hey, this is Josh Porter. And Jason Burkhardt. That was enthusiastic. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm looking at this Good streaming man. here, and it's pretty cool, man. Excellent. Excellent. I am looking at it as well. <laughs> very good. Very good. Okay, folks, this is the Solar Coaster episode number 104. Uh, this is Brent Alderfer. He's the CEO and co-founder of CEI, which is Community Energy Industries. Is that what it is? Community Industry Ener Community Energy Inc.? What is it? Inc. 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 Got it. I was just on the Got website. It. it is incorporated. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at him right now. Great website. Great guy. Okay. We talked all about how to... Uh, how to uh, ex you know scale up deployments of renewable energies and kind of get us from I guess that 100 uh, ish gigawatt mark globally upwards of a terawatt. How the heck do we get there? So he has a lot of ideas on that. We did a great uh, session yep. with him earlier in the week. We're going to hear from him after we get through news and events and our overall uh, intro today. So uh, uh, very good, very good. You ready to go, Jay? Absolutely. Okay, folks, this is The Solar Coaster. We are a renewable energy-themed talk show right here in lovely Maui County. We can be found Fridays at 1.05 p.m. on Kaoi 1110 AM. Also, 96.7 FM Central Maui, 96.5 FM Westside, 98.7 FM Upcountry. We also have a website, www.solar-coaster.com. That's solar-coaster.com. Uh, you can actually jump in right now. We just mentioned we're uh, live streaming again, which is a big deal for us because we couldn't get it to work for the longest time. But if you click on the, uh, listen, the listen live link, you can get us anywhere in the world, whether you're in the broadcast area or not. You can actually jump in the studio, see what we look like. Uh, well, not me because I'm not there. And best thing on the website, though, is the mailing list slash question submission box. On any and every page, you can go down, fill in your uh, question if you don't want to call in for whatever reason or can't because we do a lot of pre-recorded interviews. Get us your questions. We'll definitely get them on the air and, uh, and get you set up with uh, solar and renewables as best we can. We're also available on podcast networks. iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn all carry the solar coaster. You can do things like, hey, Siri, and it will find it for you. I hope I didn't activate everybody's phone. <laughs> oh, you should do that, Jay. <laughs> do it. I just did it. <laughs> I think I just did it. That's what I'm worried about. But just do do a hey, somebody, and uh, it will play Solar Coaster podcast, and it will uh, will find it for you, and then you can take us everywhere you go. Very good. This is the call-in show, folks. 808-242-7800 is the call-in line. We do have a pre-recorded uh, uh, main show focus today, but if you'd like to give us a call, you can do that one of these days. Uh, let's go over to the Pantech Design Minute. Pantech Design Minute number seven, smart weather forecasting. This Sonin Equalinks feature makes use of weather forecast information from the Adapt Energy Automation Package to dynamically modify the battery's backup reserve setting. If the Adapt Energy Automation Package detects a severe weather event warning in your area, the system will automatically start the Sonin Equalinks battery charging up to 100% to prepare your home for the incoming storm and a potential loss of grid power. This maximizes your battery capacity for backup power when it is needed most. Furthermore, the Adapt EA package can notify other home automation systems like lighting, shades, thermostats, or other devices, which can then be adjusted to ensure the safety and security of your home. Imagine using this system to prepare for extreme weather here in Maui. Adapt will simultaneously take steps on your behalf, like topping off your home battery, powering up your EV, pre-cooling your home, or preheating your hot water system. All of these systems together, make sure that you are ready to take on the upcoming storm. This has been the Pantech Design Minute. All right, that's um, Pantech Design kind of doing these uh, really amazing things, integrating smart house equipment with um, with solar plus battery. Yeah, it seems like a no-brainer when you when you when you think about it after the fact. But I mean, it's just just mind-bogglingly futuristic, cool stuff that they're doing every single every single week. Yeah, and there's some discussion now about kind of putting some video to that and kind of seeing it a little more clearly. So I'm kind of excited to take the next step. Uh, all righty, let's Absolutely. go over to our news and events, Jay. All right, news and events. The first big piece of news, and I'm, I'm ashamed of you, Mr. Porter, is that yes, you sir. neglected to uh, introduce our studio guests. Oh, well, I figured you would jump into that. <laughs> I didn't take it any time. Yeah, we do actually have a full studio today. So uh, we've got uh, Mr. Solar Anthony. Aloha, Maui. And we've got, uh, can I say Canny? <laughs> right, and then we've got uh, Julia Porter, and she's driving the. Uh, what do you want to call it, Jay? What's the? She's live running stream? the live stream, which yeah. is absolutely impressive. Thank you, Miss Porter. Very good. Welcome All to right. the studio, folks. Yeah. 
a number, a number, a large number of articles are all over the web. Large Tesla ships, all electric container barges are launching. Um, this is actually, I guess it was an older piece of news that was bopping around. Um, you had sent me one of the, the iterations. Uh, it's been around since 2017, I think, but they've finally got these things out and run. This is a company called Portliner, if you're not familiar. It's a European boat builder. They make large uh, flatbed kind of cargo ships for most mostly inland travel. I mean, these are not ocean-going cargo, cargo carriers, but they are quite large. And they've always been one of those heavy diesel burning ships uh, that, that we don't particularly care for. <laughs> But they've actually made a full electric version, and they found a couple really cool, unique ways that uh, electric electrification of this type of large ship can actually help them. Uh, one of which is that they actually were able to increase total capacity by 8%. So they're actually loading more containers now than they used to be while still maintaining the same kind of range. So the, and uh, the electric because motors they are Because they don't have an engine room. I see. They take up less space, <laughs> the engine, right? The engine and the fuel was taking up all the space. Really? Wow. Yeah. So this is interesting because yeah. you have they – so they say here uh, that this chief executive of Portliner, Ton Van Meegen, uh, who I've, mm -hmm. I'm kind of interested in talking with, said there's a 7,300 inland vessels across Europe, and more than 5,000 of those are owned by entrepreneurs. And this is something I've seen in pop yep. culture, right? This notion of, like, the riverboat captain, that person that kind of moves cargo <laughs> from place to place, you know? And, uh, and this yep. is in Belgium and the Netherlands they're talking about mostly. But the um, uh, they said they can build upwards of 500 a year, uh, and but at that rate, it would take 50 years to get the industry operating on green energy. So they're looking to find out ways to ramp this up. It's kind of interesting also because we know because we've been dealing with ecoship and the discussions of maritime that the the maritime industry the boats they tend to have the, they're the worst offenders uh with greenhouse gas right. gases but also right. with heavy particulate stuff right like nox and socks all the yeah, really yeah, it's, heavy, it's, stuff. He it's heavy diesel dirty right. fuel so this but in this case you know it, it, with maritime there's they can kind of i guess the industry can kind of get away with that to a certain degree because ports get that but outside of that you're out in the middle of nowhere right but in this case you're an inland uh uh, uh I guess, rivers and, and things of that nature. So people are right. going to be around now. So this actually can make a big difference to people's lives if they're not choking on that uh, that, that diesel from these uh, barges. Yeah, it's a, it's a really big deal. Um, just the first six barges alone are expected to remove 23,000 trucks from the roads annually. So these are these are up and down uh, throughout throughout the Netherlands. Um, that's that's a huge number in my mind and they're doing it with renewables that's that's another key piece of this puzzle is that they're actually got um containers full of batteries basically that's how they that's how they they power these ships so they take like four container lo containers of batteries that plug into the ship oh, but no then way. they get to offload offload those with the rest of the containers and those charge on land oh, from renewable sources that's remarkable. And then, of course, you've got from renewable sources. So you, you, presumably, you have solar farms or hydro or or wind or something like that. That's whatever whatever it in. happens to be. I think they, they have a, an agreement uh, with power company to make sure that they're getting green power as opposed to. Yeah, and, and that could change. Yeah, I mean the whole the whole thing about like how transportation is becoming electrified, it changes the idea of where you need those large resources of renewables as well. It kind of can alter that. So yeah, absolutely. Wow, very cool stuff, man. This is kind of like a, maybe a, a like an early stage uh, eco ship or some of these other electrification of the seas conversations. So I love it. What is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is. It is only canals, but sure. Um, <laughs> where are those? Where are all those batteries coming from? Uh, China poised to dominate EV battery manufacturing. Um, there are more than 90 battery manufacturers now um, in China, and they are expanding rapidly. So I found this article on uh, Green Tech Media about specifically how much they're growing and where they are. Uh, there are obviously some gigafactories that they worked out with Tesla, but there's a lot of other companies that are really large in the space. Um, and there's a Wood McKenzie uh, Power and Renewables um, research project on figuring out exactly who these people are. They're really knocking out um, like the tier one vendors, the South Korean Japanese that have been the typical source for super high quality batteries, the Panasonic's and Sony's and such, uh, LG, uh, are, now, are now threatened by these Chinese giants. Wow. You know, it's interesting, too, because we learned a little bit with our relationship, uh, Anthony, with Hank, 
Hank Rogers of Blue Planet Foundation, Blue Planet Energy, uh, that all that a battery is not a battery, right? Yeah. So there's this notion that mm-hmm. um, not only are there different chemistries, but within those chemistries, there's different qualities of those chemistries. And Correct. then he spe- and Hank's put a lot of time and energy into trying to kind of create an educational kind of almost like marketing platform to be able to help people understand those differences. Because really, the market needs to be educated. I, I you know we need to be educated to understand exactly what's out there. But to think of um, of China of taking over the market, I wonder if that affects you know what the like if they're you know, lithium iron phosphate. I wonder if yeah. you know Murata, for example, who is a dominant uh, player that bought Sony and the lithium iron phosphates that Hank uses. I wonder if they're able to match that quality in these Chinese manufacturers or not. Well, that's what, but the the whole yeah, conversation. Oh, the whole conversation with the blue ion battery is that their their thing that they always tried um, educating people with that they refine the uh, lithium to parts per billion opposed to where other battery manufacturers just um, refine the um, the lithium to parts per million. So that was always a big talking point with those batteries, and you know quality that's why they're able to offer such a good warranty because it was a good high refined product um i don't know if china's going to be able to keep up with that or maybe they already have something better who knows right so, who knows right yeah. and then you know that that, that, well, that said, battery chemistry is changing all the time uh this wood mckenzie planned battery manufacturing capacity expansion report actually just co- it says for all battery applications chemistry types is expected to grow uh, two and a half times by 2026, which is not that far away. The full capacity of battery manufacturing is going to grow two in China. times? In China alone. In China. I see. I see. China alone. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, we know that uh, you know storage is the is the mechanism to uh, to allow renewables to make an impact. So I guess it makes perfect sense, right? Very good. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very, very good. Any, any, any companies to take, keep a look at? It's a Chinese leading EV battery producers, BYD Co., Contemporary Amprax Technology, CATL. Are these publicly traded companies, Jay? Did you get into any of that? I don't know. So, um, traded, traded in within China. Um, I don't really have that information. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for that. All right. So, what do you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about? Do you want to move over to Latin America? Yeah, Costa Rica has been kind of on our minds uh, for a number of years, but we've never been able to go. You know, who wouldn't want to go? Um, but you had sent me this other article down. Costa Rica has just run 100% renewable energies for 300 days. These They, they put out an annual report, um, and they've actually been doing this for many, many years. Uh, they have a tremendous amount of uh, geothermal, hydro, uh, and more recently, solar and wind that are that are they're picking up all their um, all their energy needs. Granted, their energy needs are not not gigantic. They don't do a tremendous amount of domestic manufacturing, for example. Um, but but it has been Costa Rica has been able to generate 98% of its electricity uh, for only in only renewable sources for um, for years. Mm. So okay, so they've been they've been able to do this for quite some time. But you had said that is this is this mainly because it's a smaller uh, grid overall? Is that what you were saying? Smaller grid, um, and like I said, they have a lot of hydroelectric plants that are actually that generate nearly seventy four percent of Costa Rica's electricity. Um, wind at fifteen, geothermal at eight uh, percent, biomass and solar were both at less than one percent. Although the solar is certainly gaining because it's a very sunny. Uh, sunny area, uh, but the most interesting thing is that their electric—I hesitate to call it electric company because it's not. It's actually a state-run institution, uh, the the Costa Rica Institute for Electricity, uh, and as actually their phone company as well, um, is run by the state, mm-hmm. and they're very happy that way. Privatization doesn't come up in conversation very often. So an unusual kind of success story where the government's really <laughs> doing a great job and everybody's happy with it's, it. It's interesting because they have trust in the government that a government-run agency can do it. The government-run agency is actually doing the job, and everybody's happy. Yeah. They also uh, – that, that, that is kind of – is a standout thing. Um, they, she also yeah. mentioned here that while fossil fuels have, have all uh, but been eliminated by electric grid, Costa Rica still relies heavily on gas and oil for heating and vehicles. Which accounts for about seventy yes. percent of the overall domestic energy consumption, right? So, and that's well, primarily if, if oil. Can't, if <clears throat> I, I'd like to watch this over the next couple of years as electric vehicles become more common, uh, what is that? What is that mixture going to look for them? Well, it seems because they positioned. actually have the option. Yeah, I mean, they're positioned to be able to do that, right? They're talking about yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and they are, and they are expanding. They are expanding. There's, their energy needs are certainly expanding. They're actually putting up another uh, 55 megawatts of uh, geothermal uh, power plant is coming online this month. 
actually, and it's a month ahead of schedule because they've been um, heavy rains and they haven't they, they haven't been able to generate the the wind, solar, and hydro that they have wanted to. So they're actually pressing this fact this uh, geothermal plant into service earlier than they expected. Uh, pretty interesting to think of a geothermal plant going in. You know, we just had our experience here with losing our geothermal over in Big Island. Um, right. What's the size of this? This is, a, what you say, 55 megawatts? Is that what you say? 55 megawatt, yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. All right. Nice, nice big plant. Very good, very good. Let's bring it a little closer to home. Uh, New York's grid operators are having issues pushing their policy through. Um, there's a lot of conversation. I mean, they had... Um, the hundred percent renewables uh, for the city, fifty uh, percent by. I mean, the, the New York's goals are ambitious, right? Uh, it's kind of become a one-upmanship conversation between the states and the governorships to mm. to see who's going to get there first, right? Uh, but it does leave the utility and and network owners kind of in the lurch, where they have mm -hmm. to live up to these expectations. Uh, but but there's really no precedent for the transition that they're being asked to make. So the policymakers uh, so they, are setting out goals and then they're saying, okay, go ahead right. and figure it out. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, 100% by 2040 now as uh, Cuomo's pledge. Um, so how do you get there? <laughs> the answer is we don't know. Um, so they're going through and they're actually trying to figure out all these things. And one of the fun bits that's coming up in a, uh, what is it called, uh, proposal to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission from New York is that a $50 per ton carbon dioxide um, tax, essentially a charge, uh, would be added to the energy industry's mix, and it's it's an incentive, a negative incentive, to to kind of get people to stop emitting quite so much uh, carbon dioxide. So that's for anyone in the state, or is that specifically for the anyone energy in the producers? State. Hmm. No, anyone in the state. Any any industry industrial. So this is this is kind of an interesting area because there's this discussion in the investment in the renewable energy area and these impact investors and these organizations around mm -hmm. the country and the world that are saying that hey, you know the breakout opportunities specifically I'm quoting ValueX Jeff Ubins who's I think in charge of like multi-billion-dollar hedge fund that focuses on these things, and um, yep. you know he's talking about how the breakout opportunities uh, are in the renewable energy sector are in you know these types of uh, companies. And, you know, as an example, he, um, I think we talked a little bit about Nikola, which is that, uh, that I've got four minutes. Yeah, I've got Nikola, which is that um, that semi company, right? That semi truck, truck. company, yep. and he was saying that you know it it, can, it pencils now well against diesel, but once they price in the cost of carbon, it'll be a breakout success. It'll mm. be you know a three hundred million dollar company like overnight. So this pricing of carbon is a really important thing in terms of motivating companies and to, to motivating the utilities to do something, but also in terms of you know making these uh, companies profitable and being able to kind of like survive. Yeah. Well, the big the big problem is the downstate energy grids in New York, um, zones F through K, are actually still 70 percent fossil fuel. And even though the New York um, uh, grid operators group is is proposing this, the individual owners of those um, generating facilities are pushing back pretty hard because they're still producing a lot of carbon and that would severely impact their bottom line. So it's, it's very much a conversation. <laughs> Okay, Jelly, we've got a couple minutes left here. You want to try to touch on Tesla real fast? Oh, Tesla's fun, isn't it? We always, they always get a bit of a spot on the show. Uh, Tesla is looking to regain its luster in solar energy by slashing prices. This is a New York Times article uh, from the 30th of April where they go into what Tesla just had an earnings call. They were talking about how they are going to turn this whole um, solar city <laughs> debacle around. Um, a number of years ago, Tesla acquired uh, Solar City for from what was claimed to be kind of too much money, um, but they they assumed it was going to be a natural fit. You sell electric vehicles to people if they don't have solar, they're going to want it because you want to be able to drive on sunshine. You don't want to have to pay somebody else to burn coal a hundred miles away for you to drive your electric vehicle and look all green. So it was kind of a the conversation made sense, but realistically they haven't been able to sell 
Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, so what's going on here with Tesla really is that they are looking to cut soft costs, cut out the uh, yep. sales uh, door knocking process, cut out uh, you know a lot of the truck rolls, the things that are really expensive. They're also trying to put pressure on you know the the, the permitting processes, and they're saying they're going to be mm -hmm. able to get the prices for residential solar from one seventy five to I think one ninety five a watt. Now I did see that uh, that afterwards them talking about that being a post tax credit number, which was interesting because that really changes the conversation considerably, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, but assuming sure. they're just talking about a straight 30% federal, you're still, you know, like in a pretty pretty good territory. I think it's somewhere in like the 250 a watt retail range, right? Mm. Which is less than you yeah, know, most. So something like 15 to 16% less than the, the average com competitors price right. these days, uh, which is a significant dip. The other interesting thing I saw in here is that they're not looking to I mean, what, what you guys were doing when you were doing solar for the, the island was you, you basically make a custom install, right? Every single yeah. mm -hmm. uh, install is you go to the house, you look at the roof, you figure out where They're you They're trying to do it in four kilowatt many, blocks, how many right, panels, et cetera. It's basically a set. You're going to yeah. buy the Tesla set, and it's in four kilowatt blocks, exactly. Uh, so you either get a four or eight. If you can't fit eight, you get four. The cheaper <laughs> it gets, the more comfortable I think people are going to be with oversizing, though. Right. Mm -hmm. So I thought about that, too. Right. It's like we try to do it to the to the to the very specific degree, very specific accuracy. But, in, you know, and the thing is, people's energy consumption changes over time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, very mm -hmm. interesting thing here to see Tesla doing that. We'll have to see if it pans out. Uh, I, I don't see them doing much business around here, but it's a great it's a great model. And if the customer well, service really can support it, it's then we're in good shape. It's it's really hard because they don't have a sales staff anymore. Right. right. We'll see how it goes. Okay. I think that pretty much gives us our time for the news and events, Jay. Uh, we're going to go, go okay. into commercials. When we come back, we're going to be with Brent Aldifer, and uh, he is with Community, uh, Community Energy, which is a great organization to hear all about. Pantech Design is ushering the world into a new age of home energy automation through the convergence of smart home technologies and renewable energy management. Unifying solar energy production, intelligent energy storage, and smart breaker technologies with smart home devices, Pantech Design's complete home energy automation suite incorporates unprecedented control of lighting, shades, climate, security, hot water, electric vehicle charging, and many other systems. Contact Pantech today at PantechDesign.com. Sundrum Solar is the manufacturer of a revolutionary thermal collector that fits on the underside of your standard PV panel to maximize energy capture per square foot. The Sundrum Solar Hybrid PVT system, combined photovoltaic and thermal, holds the world record for peak efficiency, capturing an astounding 86% usable energy. Learn how Sundrum Solar vastly improves electric, heating, and cooling economics at sundrumsolar.com. LG is a leader in the home electronics industry and manufactures some of the most popular PV panels as well as many other appliances we've come to know and appreciate over the years. The same LG brand offers the LG Chem Rezu battery line for your home energy storage needs. Here in Hawaii, their primary model is the LG 10H Rezu with 9.3 kilowatt hours of usable capacity. The LG 10H Rezu can be used both to maximize consumption of solar energy at home and also functions as a source of backup power in the event that the grid goes down. LG Chem has increased production of their battery line for Hawaii's renewable energy solar market. Contact your local solar provider to learn more about the LG Chem 10H Resu battery. And that was our lovely run of commercials from our sponsors keeping us on the tracks and doing the show every week. Thank you. And we're here with a really wonderful person, Brent from Community Energy. We're going to hear about some really cool things that are happening with uh, commercial deployments and about how to scale up and get more renewables out there that it's actually kind of keep us uh, from, from, you know, help, help save, save the planet, really. Yeah, absolutely. We've mentioned a number of times uh, just how we're not quite making it. We really need to be like 10 times the deployment. And I, I do appreciate the... Um, the International Energy Agency report that you forwarded to us. I was looking at a lot of these numbers already, but it's unfortunate to see that renewables still aren't even satisfying the growth demand, let alone our, our base energy usage. Is that is that correct? <laughs> yeah, even though uh, that's just definitely good news, bad news story, right? Sure. Even though renewables are solar, wind, some of the leading um, sources of energy worldwide in terms of growth, Right, adding capacity faster than almost any other technology. You're right. It's uh, it's still not staying up with growth, and maybe more importantly, for climate change. Even though in uh, U.S. Hawaii has done really an amazing turnaround on beginning to retire coal, 
you saw in that report globally, we're not retiring coal, we're adding coal in mm-hmm. Asia and India. And so that's the discouraging part of the story. Um, it's optimistic, but a challenge, a long way to go. So, so Brent, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and your, your organization. Uh, you know, give us a little bit of background. Kind of, it's a good place to start, get a sense of who you are. Uh, and uh, how do you pronounce your last name? Is it Elderfer? Brent Elderfer? That's good. Alderfer, yeah. Alderfer. Got it. Got it. Got it. So tell us about community yeah. energy and, and kind of, you know, how you got to where you are right now and what you're up to. Happy to do it. We formed Community Energy uh, 20 years ago this year. I was an electrical engineer and an attorney and was a public utility commissioner in Colorado hmm. and saw the need to see if we could get renewables to scale. Um, even back then, you could see climate change on the horizon. And so we formed Community Energy with a co-founder and a partner in Boulder, Colorado, Eric Blank, for uh, that mission, had that mission from the start, which is going to get renewables to scale, economic and at scale, to uh, clean up the power sector. And we started with wind and did some of the first wind farms in parts of the U.S. that didn't have uh, a lot of wind, where it's thought to be uh, not enough wind regime to power them east of the Mississippi and other places. And then about 10 years ago, we started in utility-scale solar um, in the Rocky Mountain West and eastern U.S. And uh, I know Hawaii's done a good bit with solar, but it took a little longer to get into some of those uh, eastern seaboard states. And so we developed some of the first 100-megawatt solar farms in the east, in Virginia and in Georgia and out to Minnesota. So that's been our mission. We're still at it. 20 years. Uh, like your introduction, good news, bad news. We've made a lot of progress as an industry, right? Yeah. But uh, we've got a long way to go. Yeah, 20 years. That makes you quite a veteran in the industry. Absolutely. Uh, you know, this is it's a heck of an industry. A lot of, lot of you know, uh, the show is named come. The Solar Coaster for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and 20 yeah. years puts you in a kind of very unique position of had to have seen kind of the arc. Uh, of of this this industry kind of grow so that's really and also from the perspective of you were you were working on wind so larger scale projects from the get and then as solar kind of I guess kind of right. pr- the economics started to prove out probably about a decade ago and in, in utility scale solar and commercial scale solar you started to take the helm there so that's those are really um, kind of some of the big rocks that's really exciting stuff now and and so you're 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 based in the in Pennsylvania is that right with Community Energy Pennsylvania and Colorado yeah about half the staff and. Pennsylvania, about half in Colorado, and also an office in North Carolina. Okay, so you're, you got uh, it kind of a footprint across the country, and nothing right. in Hawaii yet, though. Yeah, that could that would be an exciting fourth office. I, <laughs> I think you should. Maybe we can talk about that afterwards. So uh, yeah, definitely need to come out and evaluate. Uh, yeah, really, really, really. <laughs> start of that plan. <laughs> so um, there's a lot happening in renewable energies right now. And, you know, when when you reached out and we started to discuss a little bit earlier about uh, kind of the scope of what's been going on, we are seeing a, a, a big kind of expansion of commercial and utility scale and, and overall complete, you know, deployments even with residential across the world. Uh, something in the tune of about 108 gigawatts this last year, I think, mm-hmm. is the territory, right, Jay? Yep. Um, but, you know, one of the, the one of the things we got excited about when, when we initially con- discussed this, uh, Brent, is... You, you talked about some ideas about um, how to keep pace with what's going on with our, our, our uh, carbon dioxide, our, our, our greenhouse gas emissions, how to keep pace with what's happening with climate or combat climate change, uh, and how to scale up renewables uh, to be able to get to a place that maybe, for example, could meet our, our, our accords, Paris Accords, or you know, these kinds of things. So we really are very intrigued about what your thoughts are about how to get more solar up there out, out throughout the world uh, and wind and renewables. I mean, what's, your, what's, the, base, what's the basic uh, component of this conversation? What's going on? Well, that's the exciting part of the good news, bad news story, I guess, is that for the first time in the last three to four years, the economics on solar and wind, the wind's been there a little longer, are such that you really can compete with coal plants, particularly in the U.S. We've got old coal plants. They're expensive to operate. And so the old argument that uh, solar is expensive at scale is no longer true. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing it with utilities. Um, across the U.S. that are going out for bids and are surprised that uh, solar is coming in and in many cases beating fossil fuels. So that's the kind of opportunity we have. You can see it right in front of us is you can build out a grid in 10 years by 2030 with 
80% carbon reduction, which basically includes retiring coal plants. Um, you can see the blueprint for how you get to the scale you need to get to the carbon reductions. You need to actually make a difference on climate change. And like this last IEC report showed, you know, you got to do that by 2030. So, so what, what are, the first time we've got the economics to do it. Right, now, right. We'll do it worldwide and uh, U.S. and worldwide. That's the question. Here's a question for you. Here's a question for you. So we, we have been getting more and more comfortable with the, the, the kind of the, the variables that as, as we understand them to be globally, mm-hmm. right? So what we understand, and, and correct, if I'm, correct, correct me if I'm incorrect here, but the, we get about 100 gigawatts of solar, right? And I think it's 180 gigawatts of solar plus wind, like the mm-hmm. renewable bucket, wind is being deployed globally throughout the, you know, throughout the world right. uh, it, within <laughs> 2018. So, um, yep. and what I understand is we need need to be closer to a gig, a gig plus, right? Um, no, wait, I'm sorry, a terawatt, a terawatt. A terawatt. I, terawatt. I, I, I do make yeah. those uh, those, <laughs> those mistakes occasionally. So we need yeah, to be closer to uh, a terawatt uh, annually to be able to... Um, Truly surplant all energy generation, right? That's what you want. You, that, that, uh, to be on that course, I suppose, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and so um, how, how on earth <laughs> could, we, <laughs> could we 10x our deployments? Do you have a sense of what that looks like? Are, are there some kind of uh, critical points or critical technical changes or critical cost changes between solar storage, wind, uh, any of those things that you see? Manufacturing on that scale yeah. alone. Is. What, <laughs> what gets us from here to you know, a 10, 10x multiplier and enough time to make a difference? Yeah, no, that is it. So let's start. Let's start with the U.S. and then see how it could ripple out globally, right? Yeah. So whether you're, um, and really Hawaii is probably ahead in many of these metrics, but including Hawaii with the rest of the U.S., you're beginning to see plans such as Excel, the utility in Colorado and Minnesota. Yeah. Went out for bids and says we can now see our way to do 100% renewables by 2030. Uh, 80% at least, and you're seeing similar um, mandates and goals in the East with Maryland, state of Maryland just passed uh, a bill. This is so cool. 50% Mm -hmm. renewable. This is so cool. By 2030. And what's driving that is the economics are there to deploy solar and wind. And the question's been, what's the backup, right? Mm -hmm. What's going to fill in the the peaks and valleys, night and, uh, and shoulder months, when you don't have enough renewable production? And the economics on that are now right in front of us as well, because you basically have gas peaker plants that have been deployed at tremendous scale yeah. across uh, the continental U.S. particularly. And you have storage costs coming down with lithium-ion and other battery options, right? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty easy to actually model out. We've done it in the Mid-Atlantic, the PJM grid is the RTO operator there. We've done it in the Rocky Mountain West pretty easy to model out how you deploy capital for the next 10 years to put in a bunch of renewables, wind and solar, and a bunch of either gas peakers, which are already built, actually, or batteries, and let them compete in the market to fill in the gaps and basically retire coal. So those plans are moving forward um, in the U.S. piece by piece, some places faster than others, and you can actually see like I said, the plan to get to 80% carbon reduction, economically, you'll see an announcement from Excel in Colorado that when they went out for bids on renewables, they said we can save ratepayers 200 and some million dollars by reducing carbon 80% with renewables by 2030. Those kind of economics you didn't see five years ago. It was mainly about cost. And you're still hearing politicians talk about it costs too much. Mm-hmm. clean so up the, and to meet climate change. Is there a lag? That's the opposite. Yeah. That's the opposite. Now. But then we get to globally, but I'll stop there. Globally is, a, is, is actually offsetting the retirements of coal we're doing in the U.S. So in that report, have been completely offset by increases in coal generation in India and China. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's a that's a big test. That's a big conversation in and of itself, right? So yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's what you just said is really um, exciting. So we talked about <clears throat> just to recap for our listeners, kind of a recap guy. You talked about uh, yeah. the United States being a kind of going from a place where you have this, where it was a cost conversation before, and now it's a conversation of this solar and wind as generation and 
uh, battery storage with costs coming down in storage, and plus existing deployed uh, gas plants, uh, gas peaker plants. That 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 that's the special sauce that can allow us to significantly reduce our carbon um, emissions. That that's basically what I'm hearing, right? That's well said, and not only significantly, but actually for the first time, to see it at a level necessary by 2030. I always use 80 percent by 2030. 80% reduction actually, by 2030. Yeah, to actually make a difference on climate change, you know, instead of somebody saying, hey, we've got to get there, you know, we've got to do something, and actually model it out in the power sector. And then you get to the transportation sector, and if I could just say two sentences on that, the electrification of transportation, also mentioned in that report, um, the IEA report, is also right at our doorstep, right? Yeah. Electric mm-hmm. vehicles in China and the U.S. So it's like, Wow. All these solutions are right in front of us. Um, what's going to take us forward? You electrify transportation and you clean up generation. We can see the way to do it economically in the U.S. Then you take that out globally, and uh, that's that's the challenge. But it's, it's uh, in a way, for those of us who have been in the industry 20 years, it can be frustrating to have it right in front of us yeah, right. after the work <laughs> we've all done for 20 years to get here, and then to have it moving what... I would say it's still a good bit too slow, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, no, this is a great point. It's a great point. And I definitely want to get to the global conversation. But but so right now, we're when you say I mean, we, we've got the the kind of formula to be able to ha, to yeah. knock out 80% reduction in carbon emissions by in the next decade. We're not talking a long way off. We're talking about 10 years, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and that's uh, that's huge. And especially from a fellow that's been in the industry for 20 years, I can see how you're raring to go and you're wanting this thing to take off. So right. what are some of the, uh, the, the, the limitations that we're seeing? Is it policy? Is it human social psychology? Is it is it uh, just and, and one one key point here? The way we're talking about it at the moment is on a national level. Are we? Um, do we believe, or do you believe that America is a, is now or can be a leader in this process? Or is it possible that other other nation states are going to take the lead? Clearly, can be with the economics we just went over, but has not yet stepped up. So there are other countries around the world, obviously, that are taking uh, Europe and other places that are in the lead on actually implementing and getting carbon reductions. But, um, yes, the the impediments, that's what you asked about. It's probably all of those, psychology and and willingness to adapt. But um, I have to say, at the moment, it's probably policy most places because – you're beginning to see, with the economics I mentioned, you're beginning to see utilities like two and others I mentioned, um, Excel in the Rocky Mountains, Exelon on the East Coast, Dominion in Virginia, traditionally conservative state with thousands of megawatts of solar in the queue. So you're beginning to see the utilities knowing how to handle the economics. Now what you really have is state policy, utility commissions, and FERC, um, really still in the old mode of, you know, we've got to support baseload fossil um, instead of looking at, well, what's the market structure that really brings the economics of solar, wind, gas, and storage um, into the market in an efficient way? And there are still barriers. So we're in the midst of those kind of um, policy discussions on the East Coast and in Colorado. Yeah. There's a new governor yeah. there in Colorado. Um Many states are looking at, including in the South, as to what it's going to take to move the economics forward. And I guess I'd say one more thing on that. Obviously, when you make a change, there are winners and losers, right? So I thought the Colorado settlement on retiring the coal plant in that state and replacing it with renewables was an interesting one because they built into the economics there uh, retirement of the unamortized capital of that coal plant. So... um, you know, the owners of the coal plant are looking for how do I get the remaining dollars out of my coal plant if I'm going to shut it down. Yeah, I was going to and say the same thing. And fortunately in the U.S., <laughs> many of these plants are very old, so the unamortized capital is pretty low. It's like a, an old car. It's easy to trade it in. Mm-hmm. Um, then we'll get, you know, like you said, get to Asia and China. Some of those plants are brand new. A little harder to talk about retiring those. Yeah. So policy, I would say, is the next frontier. 
does it feel like Brent? T- this is the way I'm seeing it at the moment, right? I, I, I'm seeing a um, these 100% renewable energy mandates, these RPS goals being set. You know, and I think it, uh, Hawaii was first, right? Mm-hmm. It was 100% yeah. by first, 20 and then, uh, others are taking it on. Puerto Rico just announced one. Yeah, I have right? a couple comments. And on those. It yeah. almost seems like a race nowadays. Yeah, it's, it, it seems like, <laughs> and, and, I'm, nice. and I'm, I'm reading about like different levels of uh, politics on the county, uh, county, and the, and the city level, on the, gov- on the on the state level at the governors, mm-hmm. and then on the federal yeah. level. I'm thinking from these perspectives, right? Sure. And what I'm seeing is that on the there's there's there seems to be on the front lines of communities that are trying to find ways to help you know, their communities thrive, they're kind of recognizing renewable energies are extremely powerful tool at their disposal. Mm-hmm. So like the, there's mayors signing up across the United States for these kind of uh, agreements to, to push their towns towards renewable energies. There's governors, yeah, a, a yeah. good chunk of them signing up all across the, and then you have these statewide, citywide, uh, 100% renewable energy mandates that are getting more and more aggressive. Like you said, Jay was just saying, mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a competition almost. It's, it's, a, it's not 2040 anymore, now it's 2030. It's not just renewables, now it's carbon been free now yep. and then it's and it's where they're up yeah. one upping each yeah. other as well as got a poker game or something you know <laughs> and so we got to do yeah. like a dogs and poker painting of the states you know, <laughs> you know with a whole bunch <laughs> of solar panels on the table right <laughs> but so you know yeah. what's going on and there are a couple comments on that yeah yeah, yeah. please please sure. do please do so that's the momentum that's exciting like most of these things it's the plus and minus and um and who who might have predicted even three years ago that we'd get to that kind of race exactly right? exactly so that is all good, and that's the momentum we need. What I personally think we should concentrate on, on those 100% renewable mandates, is to look at what happens back at my 2030 date. Mm-hmm. It's not my date. So mm-hmm. I can see it's what something has to happen in the next 10 years, or we're in deep trouble as a, as a planet, right? So 100% goal by 2050 for renewables, I fully support but I have to say, that's, that is the aspiration that I'd like to say. And to get there, how far are you going to be by 2030? So, because that's where it makes a difference to me. And to get to 100%, you got to get to 80%. First, so what are the right? milestones, right? Right. What are the milestones? So Puerto Rico just came out with one, I think it was two days ago, 100% by 2050. And when I dug into it, what I really liked about it is they said 40% renewables by 2025 and retire all the coal by 2028. So there's that formula you were talking mm-hmm. about. There's the blueprint, right? To get to 100%, we got to get to 80% first, and we got to do that fast. So that's why I like to look at in each state that does 100%. And I actually don't even know Hawaii. Do you know where you what your goal is? But you're pretty far ahead. Well, we're 27, 20, 27% 50, right 50, now. We're 27% right now. We're ah, supposed to be at 50%. By 2030, I think was the was the number. Yeah, we just, we just talked but that's, about but this that's, milestones. But we only need to make three percent in the next ten years. I think we'll be we will be way ahead of that. I have that to check those sure. milestones. But You'll be ahead, yeah. and then you get to deal with what's the rest and how do you clean it up with batteries, et cetera. So yeah, yeah, right. good shape. There, hey, just just but as, anyway, that's my just, point on that. Yeah, yeah, just on, as, the, uh, on the 2050 goals. I don't know. I'm. Uh, I'm in my 60s, so I don't know about 2050. I'd like to get something done by 2030. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we talked about the country, and of course, on a, we talked about policy on a you know this, these statewide mandates, these citywide mandates coming out, getting more aggressive. Now, are we being stalled at the federal level? I just kind of want to get that out of the mm. get that out of the way here. If we had a, 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 a let's say that there's some um, very different. Um, uh, federal policies in place, right? Uh, or there's a very aggressive mandate on the federal level, like like AOC's Green New Deal, for example. I don't know if you're a subscriber to that idea, but um, if we had some kind of a major federal initiative put in place, would that be kind of? Do you think that would be extremely relevant and help us? You know, in kind of get the well, states basically taking the reins, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. That's absolutely the biggest impediment. So mm. first, let's acknowledge the cities um, and. Um, you know, the city of Philadelphia, where we are, announced that they're going to go a percent renewable and do it on their own. So municipalities can really, they have the flexibility and oftentimes the time frame where they can make a difference fast, and they're beginning to. So that's exciting. But as to what the impediment is, the feds are clearly, from Congress to FERC, in the way, and a big problem on their attempt to reverse under the current administration uh, the direction of reduced carbon. So even things like um, 
the FERC attempt to, you know, basically with market design get a subsidy for coal by calling it base load. I mean, that just makes it that much harder for state policy and for tiring coal plants, even if an owner had an economic way to do it. So it's probably hard to overemphasize how much of a problem it is that the feds have changed course in the last several years and are really attempting to block progress. Okay, so let's talk about to- yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit because this is really weird. I kind of start to dig into this area, right? Mm-hmm. So the part of the conversation that I hear when we talk about the national policy of renewable energies, that I hear if I if I and I, I try to tune into different uh, types of political conversations, different er, different areas on the political spectrum, right? <laughs> yeah. Get into those conservative environments, and I want to hear what's going on. And some of the language I hear is uh, 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 when I heard recently was um, it's not going to make a difference because of these other countries that are ramping up their fossil fuel use and carbon emissions, right? Mm-hmm. That seems to be a theme that I hear out there quite a bit in those kind of conservative discussions. So, I mean, is there is there a, a silver bullet for that particular? issue? Do you, I, I don't know. I'm genuinely wondering, you know, Brent. Well, it is a terrible argument. You hear it all the time. Where doesn't the U.S. lead if it gets in, in a, gets in mind to do so? Yeah. And I guess the easiest way to give an example to folks is what Ronald Reagan did with the ozone layer um, yeah. chlorofluorocarbons back in the 80s. It was the same thing there. Well, everybody used this around the world. We're not going to change it. He put that together. Ronald Reagan said, well, let's get, they got a treaty together, they got countries together, and they solved that problem with technology. And, um, you know, it's the same with climate change. We just laid out together the formula right in front of us worldwide with electrification, transportation, and renewable energy to do it. And we also laid out the economics that lets the U.S. do it first. So there's going to be no other way to do it globally than for the U.S take the economics in front of it and implement them. And quickly on your point of the Green New Deal, what are the arguments you hear? Do you hear anybody saying the economics that we've just laid out saying, hey, you know what? Over the term, 10-year term, we might be able to save U.S. ratepayers money by doing uh, renewable energy. No, you hear it's going to cost trillions of dollars, right? That's that's the, the politics of it. So it's really a mess in terms of the level of political discussion with the reality on the ground, adoption, electrification of vehicles, and the potential for carbon-free generation. Yeah, um, yeah. The, um, you it's know. just a big mess. And so I guess that falls on us as the industry and you as the, as the, um, as the communicators to say, why aren't, we, why aren't we getting through on these political debates? <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. So this is really, uh, yeah, this is a key piece of this conversation. I mean, it could be that the uh, the upcoming uh, presidential election could be decided on an energy policy conversation, right. or at least them firmly. You said that yeah, absolutely a number of times. Getting a lot right? more attention. Right. Absolutely. And, and then, you know, here, just to, to, we, we were talking numbers and metrics here. And there's one that I think what could be helpful for me thinking about the on a global level. Let's say that I agree with you that that notion of uh, if others aren't doing it, then the U.S. shouldn't have to invest. And we're going to lose you know, uh, geopolitically. We're going to become weaker because of uh, our expense. It's just it's just a non-starter for me as an argument. Yeah. But it would be helpful to have. Yeah, it'd be helpful to have the metrics. Like when I started, I was actually talking to my daughter about this. I think it was, it might have been yesterday, right? Mm-hmm. Or, and we were, or the night, the, it was two days ago, and we were talking, you know, just up at, you know, in the evening chatting. And uh, I said, look, over the next three decades, in order for us to transfer our economy from a fossil fuel based economy to a, uh, a renewable energy based economy, the numbers I'm seeing are an $11 trillion investment. Mm-hmm. Right. These are these numbers are published, publicized. Uh, you know whether they're accurate or not. You know, remains global. Yeah. Eleven trillion dollars. Our current money money supply is about five trillion. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, narrow money. We had to look up these terms. Yep. And then it said, but broad money, as per the CIA, is about eighty trillion. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's our current money supply. So broad money apparently is about a little. You know, uh, what do you call it? Fractional reserve banking and about expanding yeah. out the money supply. So you, um, when we think about that kind of a of an investment, eleven trillion dollar. Investment. I, I think it would be helpful if we understood what the. I, th- I see a sticks and carrots thing here, right? I see a the, the stick being climate change and all the damage and all the costs, uh, both monetarily and you know from, to the human species and to the existential threat and all. That's the stick, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then the 
the carrot uh, is all of the savings and the opportunities and the the expansion of our economy and all the. I, I really want to see those things defined. You know, and, and it's somewhere in that uh, that eleven trillion dollar investment is part of that kind of sticks and carrots conversation for our Earth over the next three decades. Yeah. Right. It's like I really want to understand what those numbers are more intimately. Um, so, yeah. but you, yeah. When you break it down, what you find is um, most of that eleven trillion depends state by state and country by country. This private investment that is on the sidelines waiting to come in. Yes. So, mm. This is very... Know, one plan we have to add 10% solar in Pennsylvania would be $10 billion of cost. Well, it's not cost. That's private investment that has a return with ratepayer savings. So I think you and your daughter probably said it best. We need to get you before Congress. Um, <laughs> right. Your daughter. I'm going to tell her. And actually, if I could say, when you hear these high schoolers talk, they are powerful and saying like hey we've got to be here in 2050 no kidding when you guys are setting these laws so could you guys you know get on the ball get going So fantastic. So I think we covered a lot of ground there. I'm actually really excited. Thank you for yeah, helping absolutely. us navigate that, Brent. That was very helpful. So now, what is it, what's in the future for you, for your organization, for your company? What would you like to see happen? Um, is there anything you'd like to communicate to our listeners here in Hawaii? Well, it's the, it's the message. It is a global message. So, one, it's exciting to hear what's going on in Colorado, Colorado and Hawaii and Pennsylvania um, on similar themes, right? Um, but what our mission is, having started 20 years ago to get renewables to scale, is we've gotten to a level that we maybe didn't think possible three, five, ten years ago. But now it's got to take uh, it's got to take front and center. So we, with the industry and with you and all of us, have to get renewables deployed, get the investment in place, get the policies in place to get to. Uh, you know, 50% renewables backed up by gas storage and and efficiency. Um, and, you know, that's what's out ahead of us. That's as a company and as an industry. Is it's got to go to the next level. So it includes things like retiring coal plants, replacing them with renewables, uh, putting the batteries in place. We're getting more bids now. RFPs are looking for solar renewables and batteries together, as you see in, in Hawaii. Um, and so that's the next phase is the next scale. Absolutely. With the whole picture in place, the whole model of a clean grid, not just one-off renewables, but what's it take to put the whole model together state by state, country by country. Well, thank you for that, Brent. It's very helpful. And uh, I think that uh, I'm going to send you an article in Utility Dive uh, that's titled Hawaiian Electric Targets Nearly 1.4 Gigawatt Hours of Storage, 135 Megawatt Solar Equivalent in Latest Solicitation. So this is what's going on out here in our neck of the woods. They're on their second phase of that uh, renewable energy uh, uh, yeah, approach. Yep, yep. And uh, yeah, so I think that uh, there's a lot going on out here and it's great to hear from your perspective of the last 20 years in the industry and where you think see things going over the next couple of decades. Uh, and that is, <laughs> that is pretty much the uh, the sign for the end of the show here. Hey, um, we're gonna wrap it up. This is, uh, thank you again, uh, Brent. Really do Dr. appreciate Jay, your thank time. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, folks. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) Hey, folks, this has been the Solar Coaster. Uh, We are sponsored by Sundrum Solar, Pantech Design, and And LG Chem. LG Chem. Uh, Thanks to our sponsors, and thanks to uh, Brent from Community Energy. Uh, It's been a great show. We really appreciate your insights.